Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Rachel Maidment, Executive Director of the Council, and for this podcast I'm delighted to speak with Fiona Atchison, NZTU's Regional Director for Greater China. Based in Shanghai, Fiona is responsible for NZTU's operations in mainland China, Hong Kong and Taiwan. Fiona has also been a Trade Commissioner in Guangzhou, where we work together, and has also been the Trade Commissioner for Malaysia, Indonesia and Brunei. Fee, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. At a time when most people are unable to travel, it's great to have an on-the-ground update on how our trade with China has been tracking. And I'd like to start off with a recent big event, and that's the China International Import Expo, or CIIE. For those listeners that aren't aware, CIIE started in 2018 in Shanghai as the world's first import-themed national-level expo, and has been characterised by huge pavilions, large crowds of people, and thousands of products. How was CIIE this year, and how did COVID impact? So I'm lucky in that I have been in attendance at all three CIIEs, Um, so this was the third year. So I am in a good position to make a direct comparison. It is a very interesting trade show because the focus is on imports. So therefore, if you are registering a booth or pavilion, you need to be an international company. So this is not for Chinese companies. This is for international companies wanting to exhibit to China. So this year, we were scratching our heads a wee bit. We had gone and booked pavilion spaces for New Zealand companies the previous year, thinking now we've gone and booked the space, how many companies are actually going to be able to participate given the travel restrictions with COVID? A number of companies did pull out, but we were still very impressed with the effort that others made. So we had two pavilions, one in the food and beverage area and the other in the health and wellness area. Across those two pavilions, we had 15 New Zealand companies and across all the pavilions, there were, I think, 44 New Zealand companies, most of them either in food and beverage or the health and wellness. For example, first time this year, we had Fisher and Paykel Healthcare in the medical pavilion. Now, those companies that participated this year had teams on the ground already in China. So that made a big difference and obviously product on the ground in China. However, we did have two intrepid CEOs who have run the gauntlet of two weeks quarantine in Shanghai and of course will run the gauntlet of two weeks quarantine back in New Zealand to support their teams. Uh, So Zespri CEO came up, uh, Dan Matheson and also the chief executive of Quantec, which is a company based in the Waikato. So results are still coming in. Uh, What has happened with CIA, I guess, over the three years is it's become a platform that is more like a showcase or an exhibition of capability and connections and partnerships. It's not really a typical trade show in terms of attracting sales. Uh, And that was particularly evident this year because, of course, people couldn't actually visit CIIE. So you still had some local Chinese channels, et cetera, visiting, but there wasn't the ability for consumers to come. And those of us that were inside CIAE, everybody had to have a COVID test before you entered. So there was quite a lot of restrictions on sort of general traffic. So what companies used it for this year was to celebrate those significant partnerships or those new MOUs, or maybe to launch some new packaging or some new products. So they used it as a platform really to talk to the rest of other exhibitors that were there and also the uh, senior Chinese delegations that came through to showcase their, I guess, their commitment to the China market. 
Did you pick up on any trends in terms of new products that were starting to get a lot of traction? Were there any new products or categories that were really exploding? The one thing I would say would be the fact that, for example, Fisher & Park Hall Healthcare came for the first time is this surge in interest in anything medical that is supporting the COVID fight. In fact, that medical hall or medical pavilion that Fisher & Park Hall were part of I remember looking around and seeing Pfizer's stand and practically every major pharmaceutical company in the world, every major PEP producer in the world, thermometers, you name it, and thinking, gosh, this is the hall, this is the pavilion that's trying to save the world at the moment. Everything, every single company was there. And so for New Zealand companies, the increased interest in, I guess, health and well-being type products as well, we've noticed that has become, I guess, more front of mind for consumers. And in terms of the New Zealand presence, what exhibitors were there and were there any innovative products that they were showcasing? So New Zealand's uh, presence at CIE was very much dominated by our big primary producers and food and beverage companies. Uh, Fonterra was there, Desprey was there, Tatua, Sinlay, etc. So they um, were very much focused on themes of things like innovation, health, immunity, but then there were also other companies that perhaps your listeners don't get to hear about so regularly. For example, Connell, which is based out of uh, Nelson, they um, signed an agreement with G Super, which is one of the big growing supermarket outlets here. They've got supermarkets in 23 cities across China. And so they signed an agreement for the Green Shield Muscles to go into those supermarkets. One of my favorites, because it's a tasty, very tasty product, Pix Peanut Butter launched their chocolate peanut butter in collaboration with Whitaker's Chocolate this year at uh, CIAE. And then on the innovative front, Grin, which is a company that has really come to the fore in the last couple of years in the oral care category. So they uh, produce toothpaste and, and toothbrushes and things and are very committed to sustainability. They've had a collaboration going with Paddy. So that's a professional association of divers. And they've developed an environmentally friendly toothbrush made from cornstarch, so uh, non-GMO sustainable cornstarch, which they, is 100% biodegradable, which they also launched at CIIE. Now, in terms of packaging and sustainability, did you notice any trends on that front coming through at CIIE? So not at CIIE, where we have noticed that, and I think to be fair, there's still a long way to go, but when Shanghai switched to compulsory recycling in both your home and the office, there has been quite a switch around, particularly around packaging and the volume of packaging and switching to more packaging that can actually be sorted at home into categories that can be recycled. So for example, increase in use of cardboard and that sort of thing. That's very interesting. And one of the council's working groups is actually focused on packaging. So this is certainly something we can come back to at a later podcast. Now, before we move on, I understand that the Chinese Chamber of Food Imports produces a report each year around CIAE, looking at where China's food imports are coming from. How did we fare this year? This year, just gone, and the year previous, New Zealand was the largest source country for China's food imports. So as of the last, last lot of data that they launched at CIAE, New Zealand contributes 8% of China's food imports. So I th- I think that's probably higher than many of us had actually realised. And it will vary a bit from year to year, but 
typically I think New Zealand's probably sitting in the top three, particularly for big categories like dairy and meat. That's incredibly interesting and helps to put the relationship in context. So whilst we are a minnow in terms of overall exports, we're actually an important food supplier. Now, another big event that has also just taken place is Double Eleven or Singles Day, which is a significant unofficial holiday and shopping season that celebrates well. It started out by celebrating single people, encouraging them to shop, but I understand that it's now quite a popular day to get married in China, so it really just encourages, I guess, consumerism overall. And uh, similar to Black Friday, there are a lot of discounts applied. So how did New Zealand companies fare this year? The participation of New Zealand companies, you know, using Double Eleven as a platform was similar to previous years. We don't actually have the results yet, so we keep quite close to our friends at Alibaba to get the results from that. And they will be able to give us more definite results towards probably the end of the month and early into December. So we don't have any definitive results, but certainly the platform is used regularly by New Zealand companies. In the case of Grinning, as I said before, launching their new toothbrush, they use that platform as well to launch into the China market. And we've supported a number of companies, including those that have a Timor shop already, for example, like the New Zealand Wine Pavilion. And then there were probably another 15 companies across various brands that participated in some of the activities. We did a launch as part of not just Double Eleven, but CIIE and New Zealand Week. So we've had New Zealand Week running at the same time. We also launched Made With Care. So Made With Care is the New Zealand government's campaign in about five offshore markets to reiterate the messages around our food and beverage offer. And so there have been a, a number of different activities to launch that. And we use Double Eleven again. If you think about a brand and a series of messages talking about New Zealand's provenance story, health, etc., we used all of that to wrap around what we were doing across those activities to amplify that message. So it's not going to give you commercial outcomes straight away, but it's continuing to build sort of country preference and awareness over time. So Made With Care is similar to New Zealand's story in that people can sign up and use the collateral and resources? Exactly the same. And, as, and New Zealand companies are doing exactly that now. And so the campaign runs out to midway through next year. And the New Zealand companies, including organisations like Beef and Lamb New Zealand, are going to leverage the collateral and the resources for their uh, marketing campaigns going forward. Now, we often do hear that Double Eleven can be a bit of a barometer on how trade and the overall relationship is tracking. And on that front, I'd be keen to know how the Australians got on. How did they track over CIAE and Double Eleven? So I talked to my colleague, uh, counterpart, I guess, at for the state of Victoria. So they're based here in Shanghai. Um, they participated both in CIAE and supported Australian companies on Double Eleven maybe to touch base on CIAE first. So both the state of Victoria and Western Australia had pavilions at CIAE this year. They too were similar to us where they'd gone and booked space expecting a certain number of companies. And of course that was greatly reduced, but they still were very pleased, I think, with the outcome of what they were able to do at CIAE. And similarly, their pavilions were focused on food and beverage and health and wellbeing. And then with Double Eleven, what they've said so far is essentially they had good uptake of uh, Australian companies on the platform. 
and haven't seen any at this point any particular reduction in demand though the probably possibly the investment and this might be a typical number of countries sorry with the investment into double eleven has perhaps stayed similar to previous years rather than being a necessarily a massive increase just because of constraints across a number of reasons and that is interesting isn't it because with china we've often been used to this sort of crazy exponential year-on-year growth but with COVID and perhaps even pre-COVID we'd started to see some levelling off which is not surprising. So given that this has been a year impacted by COVID how have our exporters been tracking overall? So the data we track is obviously trade data and that's obviously skewed um, by goods exports and, um, and, and clearly the biggest services exports or services trade is across education and tourism and I think we all know that it's not been a great year. So with goods, the profile is skewed towards food and beverage and primary products in particular. Across those sectors, if you take overall trade in the first three quarters of this year, so this is New Zealand's exports to China, I think there's been like a 1% reduction. It's pretty much tracked the same as previously. Some sectors have done incredibly well, like dairy's done very well, and meat has been had a good year, and so has have fruit. Though there's been ups and downs, and then some sectors have had a really tough year. So seafood would be one of those, and forestry is another. So I guess it depends which sector you talk to, and pet food has had a fantastic year. So it's apparently because during COVID, up to a point anyway, when people were locked down, um, pets became very popular. If you didn't have one, you went out and got one. <laughs> and then I think it's also impacted by the number of families in China that are choosing not to have children, um, the number of families or people who are choosing not to get married. And so it's a real growth area where you have a companion and you spend a lot of money on your companion. In terms of other challenges that have been facing producers over this period, We've heard a lot about logistics, and I know that NZTE has done a lot to ensure that the supply chain remains open. Do you have any updates on supply chain issues? Well, there were two main impacts, as I think everybody is probably aware of, back in February in particular. So the initial impact was around sea freight because of the ports, obviously, you know, the labour that would normally staff the ports were, were in lockdown. And that situation obviously exists in other parts of the world to this day, in fact, but China's ports are up and running. What has happened, though, because other ports in other cities are not up and running because of their labour constraints, then you've got a worldwide shortage of containers, particularly reefer containers. Uh, so they're stuck, if you like, in different parts of the world. China, though, on the whole, has managed to continue and also our trade into China has continued the second one was air freight. I think it probably took us all by surprise how much of our air freight uh, goods were arriving actually in the belly of passenger planes. I, I, and we knew we air freighted product, but I think we all thought it was going in uh, commissioned airplanes that were part of freight companies. But no, a good chunk of it was actually coming in the belly of passenger planes. So when the flights reduced dramatically, and of course they are, they remain very, very reduced, then that had a huge impact initially on, on products like lobster. So the New Zealand government has supported New Zealand exporters with basically established an RFP process that enabled a number of airlines and freight forwarding companies and logistics companies to come together to work out a way of keeping 
flight routes open. And for this part of the world, for example, I think that has supported roughly five flights a week, a week into Shanghai, two into Guangzhou, one into Hong Kong and one to Taiwan. I may not have those numbers not quite right. That process has been run by the Ministry of Transport. They are now going through a second RFP process to take that arrangement out until I think the end of March 2021. That's been immensely beneficial, obviously, in keeping those routes open for exporters. That's very interesting, and I've spoken with a range of exporters and the main airports recently, and I know that the support that has been provided has been really crucial. Now, in terms of retail channels that were initially seriously impacted by COVID, such as food service, how have they rebounded over the second half of this year? Yes, it's definitely rebounding. I think some sectors came back faster than others, so for sorry, in food service. So, for example, the what in New Zealand would be something like a Starbucks or a KFC, those sort of takeaway foods and the bakeries, uh, quick meals, they came back earlier than sort of fine dining and cuisine. Then more recently, domestic tourism within China has really taken off again. And there've been some amazing packages where, you know, you can sign up probably the equivalent of maybe 1000 New Zealand dollars and fly to multiple destinations in China. So there was a real active promotion to get people moving again. And with that, hotel occupancy has gone up again. And with that has been the the use of those restaurants and things like that. But it's taken time and I'm not sure that it's quite back to pre-COVID periods, but I think it's quite close. Now, with regard to digital channels, obviously China's digital economy was really transformed post-SARS. And once again, I understand that COVID has accelerated digital trends. What have you been seeing? I think this is one of the more interesting trend and also it's accelerating. And in some ways, COVID's benefit has been that New Zealand and New Zealand exporters have needed to, to speed up, I guess, their investment and in being able to sell across um digital channels, e-commerce platforms, and to understand how you drive consumers to those platforms. This is new, but we have a full-time staff member based in Shanghai who that has, is his job, working with New Zealand exporters on their digital channel strategy. Then you talk to some company like Zespri, is obviously very well established in the China market. They talk about uh, pre-COVID probably 10 to 20% of their sales were via online. It's gone up to 30% during COVID and they're expecting it to grow to probably 50%. Now this is fruit. So obviously it's fruit. Uh, I don't think we think about fruit necessarily as being something you would buy online, (laughs) but that is where it's moved. And I don't see it going backwards. Uh, And the other thing is who is buying online. So I think the younger demographic has been buying online for a while but now it's right across all demographics. We often hear that Kiwi exporters find China's digital ecosystem challenging. And now that COVID has really turbocharged these platforms, have Kiwi exporters been struggling to adapt? I think it's it's not just Kiwi exporters. I would say all Western exporters are struggling <laughs> uh, up to a point with this. A couple of reasons. One is the ecosystem is so different There's not an Amazon, there's not an eBay, all the names are different. The way people buy is different. What might attract them to buy is different. And, you know, so in parallel, we've seen this massive increase, for example, in live streaming. 
and the influence of basically KOL, so key, key um, opinion leaders. That is at a level that I just don't think we see in many other markets. So that's one reason. And the second reason is the investment required. It really is quite expensive to, I guess, diversify your channels so that you've got potential to access people through general trade, you know, going to a normal supermarket and also be able to sell, sell to them online. And then to have actually a convergence of your online and offline. So both support each other. It's more complicated. It's expensive. And obviously, you get it right. It's very rewarding. Uh, but there will be mistakes made along the way. And we're seeing very big companies and very small companies make those mistakes. So another trend we've heard about throughout the COVID period across the world and also in China are campaigns to buy local. And in China, I guess it's exacerbated by concern around COVID being imported via frozen products. Have you seen this? And do you think this will impact on our exports going forward? So you mentioned the New Zealand story before, and the New Zealand story conducts research roughly about every four years in some of our key markets and looks at what consumers think about New Zealand, essentially, and then they track that over time. So early last year, I think there was an uh, update on that research and we could see then, so it wasn't so much a buy local trend, it was a increasing pride in one's own brands. There was a real significant shift from the previous four years to this time of around Chinese consumers wanting to purchase their own Chinese brands, basically, and increasing pride in that and not necessarily needing to go to international brands or foreign brands to see them as being the best or better. So what has happened, I think possibly is that COVID has again just sped that trend up. It's not a win-lose really, because what we're seeing is that still we're still seeing increased interest in, in brands that also speak to the things, you know, we find really important things like safe, healthy, nutritious. Those are still very, very strong drivers. And then alongside that, we've now got a driver that is pride in their own. Now, NZT provides a huge amount of support for our exporters. What initiatives do you currently have underway that would be useful for our listeners to know about? We have launched a portal at NZT called My NZT, and I would very much recommend companies signing into that. The content inside the portal is um, easily searchable by market, by type of question that you might have if you're looking at different channels, for example, or pricing structures or business models or recent content on digital marketing. It really is a growing resource. So the portal is designed to, over time, if you revisit the portal, to understand the type of content that you're looking for. So it's got a little bit of an algorithm sitting in behind it to support you get the content that you want to bring it to bring it up front. So I would really recommend people signing on to MyNZTE. That is also a very good way to find out what events NZT is hosting, webinars, etc. because again, it will push that information into your inbox if you've signed up. You're talking about digital commerce and digital marketing before. One of the things NZT has been set up this year quite fast was digital clinics in New Zealand. So companies that perhaps hadn't set up even their website or thinking thought much about their digital strategy. They run clinics in New Zealand and the, the companies that we work with can sign up for those and then also be supported by an implementation coach in terms of actually taking that forward. 
The other thing we've touched on is freight. So I'll mention the fact that we've also set up an extension to our Beachheads Advisory Service. So our Beachheads Advisory Service is roughly 200 private sector experts around the world, including in New Zealand, who provide their time to support New Zealand companies with questions around strategy, approach the market, those sorts of things. We've identified three new Beaches advisors who are freight specialists. So companies that would like to do an audit of their supply chain can access these advisors. Again, again, this is something if you come into an NZT and you're working with a customer manager and you're interested in looking at your supply chain, then that's a service too that I think in the current environment might be worth having a look at. So now bringing this to a close, how are you feeling about the China market for New Zealand exporters fee? You know, are you feeling pessimistic, optimistic? Just what's your gut feel after having spent so much time on the ground in China? Very much optimistic. Uh, China will be the only major economy this year to have positive GDP growth. And that projected beyond this year to keep, you know, to continue, albeit at a slightly slower pace than has perhaps been typical of the last few years. The reality is that China's growth and New Zealand's recovery are very closely interlinked. It's exciting actually what's happening on the ground here. We've been just doing a piece of work on the number of New Zealand companies that do actually have people here. And I think we've hit 90 at least, and they're mostly roughly within a two hour radius of Shanghai, not completely. But there's an increasing number of companies that are establishing teams on the ground. And the other thing that's happened through COVID that's possibly been an acceleration is number of companies now talking to us about setting up a what they call a wholly owned foreign entity here in China. So setting up a presence here. So I do feel really optimistic. It's very challenging that companies can't travel here at the moment. What I would say to that is we are very much open in any way we can to being boots on the ground for the companies that we work with. Right now, we have one of our business development managers who's got a commitment for three months where she'll be almost full-time supporting a New Zealand company because I've won a significant contract here. They can't get to the market. There's a number of things they need to put in place to make sure that contract happens. So we've just said to this one BDM, right, that company is your priority for the next three months, whatever it takes to get that, those things in place. So I feel very optimistic. I know it's very challenging, but I just want to reiterate to people that we have a team of across the region, sort of 30 or so specialist BDMs on the ground who are here to support New Zealand companies when they can't actually get into the market. Thank you so much to Fiona Atchison for providing some great on-the-ground insights into how our trade is tracking and the current opportunities and challenges for our exporters. On our website, you can find links to NZTE's My NZTE portal and its Made With Care program. You can also find more New Zealand China Council podcasts on our website and on Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.